This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You heard of this thing, the eight-minute abs? Yeah, sure, eight-minute abs. Yeah, the uh, exercise video. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, this is going to blow that right out of the water. Listen to this. Seven-minute amps. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and this week begins the new Chinese New Year. It's the year of the rabbit. Which leads us to a big announcement. We're multiplying like rabbits. We'll turn it over to Joe in a minute to let you in on the info about our new baby. No, not that kind of baby. I'm going to need more than two glasses of boxed wine and some berry white to consummate that relationship. What? Okay, fine, I'll do the intro. Anywho, today we welcome the man who's going to help us trick our brain so we can save more, focus better, and climb any mountain... Dr. Daniel Willingham. In our headlines, one celebrity says she's cutting her kids off from her fortune. Who is it? We'll share. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Tom with questions for his mom's 403B. And then I'll hop in with my new trivia. And now, two guys who we specifically had to ask to stop nibbling carrots long enough for us to record. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Better eyesight, Dougie. Better eyesight with all those carrots. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Wednesday. I am Joe Saul C. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter with lightning gray. I, actually, my eyesight sucks. I've noticed ever ever since I started working at the computer all day, like the last decade, it's just been... I'm sure it's the computer and not the No, years. it totally is. No, nothing to do with aging. We do. We do, OG, have a big announcement today. We're going to take care of that at the end of today's show. Just have that as a carrot. They call a cliffhanger. Yes. To listen to the whole episode. Cliffhanger would be if we said we had a big announcement and then waited until next season. Right. But wait. To figure out who shot JR. Right. We'll tell you. Does anybody remember that reference? (laughs) When does that reference uh, hit its expiration date? I don't know. Maybe, Maybe already. By the way, I got to say this. I got to flex. 
Welcome to the show that Bankrate says is the number one personal finance show in America. Look at that flex, huh? Yeah. Good stuff. Congratulations, guys. Tickets to the gun show. Why do you why are you waving your your arms around, Joe? I don't understand. <laughs> Just flex. He's putting man. his arm up in the air when he says flex and that nothing's happening. Oh, easy. It. Easy. I'm standing. It's like a car dealership with the <laughs> With the inflatable crazy thing <laughs> waving out front. That's what Joe looks like. <laughs> Those are Joe's arms. Oh, boy. Time to get moving. I think it's a good time for this. Let's distract you with some of this. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, now you've got your to-do list, don't you? You're ready to go dive in and be better at money than you were an hour ago when you started listening to the show. And you know what? For a great partner, become a member at Navy Federal Credit Union because... Becoming a member at Navy Federal could help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe you want to consolidate debt. Well, when you're thinking about debt, as I've said before, a lot of people have debt. Very few people have a debt strategy. Well, with Navy Federal, you could borrow up to 100% of your home equity with a fixed rate home equity loan with zero closing cost or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. Make the plan, choose the best option because both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required, terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. We got Dr. Daniel Willingham here talking about tricking your brain. You know, when you don't want to exercise, you don't want to eat right, you don't want to focus, you don't want to do whatever. Uh, Daniel Willingham is a guy who's a cognitive psychologist at the University of Virginia, and he's diving into that with all of us. So, Mr. Fancy Pants. Is it cognitive? seems like all psychologists are cognitive psychologists. They might well, be. But this is the one that put it on his business card. <laughs> yeah, this guy's got a PhD in cognitive psychology See? from Harvard. Ha- ha- Harvard. Is, is, is the R long or soft? I never know. It doesn't exist. Uh, yes. Great show today anyway. <laughs> Let's get moving. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline comes to us from CBS News. This is wild. Another celebrity, guys. We got another celebrity saying, kids, no inheritance for you. No soup for you. Marie Osmond wants her seven kids to make their own fortunes. According to a new report, the country singer believes individuals who are simply handed money often end up lacking drive and ambition. She wants her children to discover their own interest on the road to forging meaningful careers. 
As a result, Osmond told Us Weekly she doesn't plan to leave her kids an inheritance. Oh, gee, I know. Yeah, Doug? I was going to say, was the subheading on that headline, Damn, I Had Too Many Kids? (laughs) The subheadline is, I'm a little bit country, and they're a little bit rock and roll. So we're not, does anybody even know what that, I don't don't know. I got that one. Yes. Oh, gee, I know you have strong feelings about this. Uh, I don't think you're on Marie Osmond's side of this argument, are you? Not in the least bit. That's the most selfish thing that I think a person could do. I, I, I don't have any idea why that logically makes sense in her brain. Now, that being said, if she doesn't have enough money or her plan shows that she's on the path of, you know, kind of last dollar, last breath type of thing, or there's not going to be much left over, hey, you do you. You know, that's cool. There's no obligation to leave your kids or grandkids a whole bunch of money when you're dead. But if you have a whole bunch of money and you're like, screw those losers, I'm going to just blow it so that there is none. I think that's so ridiculously sinister and evil. I can't possibly, I can't possibly agree with the logic of, well, they just need to make it on their own. But we have spent a lot of time over the last 12 years studying comedy, watching how comedy gets created. And I'm not saying there's anything funny about this, but I'm saying that the one thing I think that we've learned studying comedy is that when it's 99.9% truth, and then that 0.1% is completely exaggerated, that, that is some truly funny stuff. And when we look at over and over, OG, the truth in a lot of these comedy shows, I mean, think of, you guys remember Rested Development, right? The whole family's a bunch of spoiled kids, Job and uh, I don't remember the sister's name, like everybody around Jason Bateman, spoiled rich kids who never have to work for anything. And then I think about, uh, uh, you guys watch Succession, right? Succession? Succession? Yes. Succession and Succession are completely different. Two totally different. (laughs) They're going in opposite directions. But But there's that. And then I also think about uh, Schitt's Creek. The spoiled, the sp- you know, uh, 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 what's his name? Daniel going, uh, we'll just write it off. We'll just write like these kids yeah. who have no idea what the hell's going on. Well, but that's the importance of being a good parent and yeah. leader of the family is to teach your kids that stuff along the way. If you haven't taught your kids this by the time they're Job's age or, you know, 12. Daniel's age or, or, well, you know, whatever, like you, that that's, that's your fault. You know, and now, especially then if they're adult children in this case, and then you go, by the way, there's nothing for you. If if that was the plan from day one, then this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. So you're saying you're essentially punishing your kids for being a bad parent. If they're spoiled and you want to make it on your own and you say, oh, that's an interesting take. Yeah. If you do that. When they're like 30 and you're 70 and you go, by the way, the hell with you guys, like this whole time I've taken care of you, this whole time you've benefited from the the success that we've had as a family or I've had as an individual or whatever the case would be. And now I'm going to pull the rug out from underneath you. I hope you make it on your own. It's like you got to that, that lesson you need to be teaching them when they're six, not when they're 36. But what say you don't like the direction that your kids are going though, and your kids are in their thirties? You don't think that cutting them off from your inheritance is a is a suitable thing? Like I don't know if my kids are treating me like crap and they're horrible people. I don't have any problem giving that money to charity instead. Absolutely not. That's totally fine. But again, that's back to Doug. What you so succinctly said that's that's more of an effect on a result of you being a bad, probably a bad parent and bad leader of the family than it is 
them going down a different path. Now that happens sometimes, right? And when you think about your estate plan, sorry, Doug, I know you're just chomping at the bit. I'm just trying to eat the microphone. Chomping. <laughs> the bit is right there and you're chomping at it. Chin, 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 chin. But it, you know, as you think about a, a, a really well done estate plan, there's going to be contingencies in there because you know people do silly things. They you know have a drug addiction or they get in a traffic accident and hurt somebody really bad or they go through a divorce and and a good estate plan is going to protect against those things and not be like frivolously wasting them because your kid's addicted to whatever. And you go, well, I don't know how to help that. You know, here's your third of the money, you know, type of deal. You can solve for that too. So just throwing your hands up, I still think, especially with adult kids and going, sorry, I changed my mind type of thing. It's just silly. Teach them the right way. You were hinting at the bit I was chomping at, which was, can't we structure a trust such that it doles out smaller amounts of money so that, okay, they're not going to be, my kids are idiots. I screwed up, but I don't want them to be homeless either. So instead of just giving them a giant bag of Marie Osmond money, you know, they're going to get small amounts incrementally along the way so that they're still neighbor Doug money to be, yes, exactly. And get large amounts of neighbor Doug money instead of small amounts of Marie Osmond. That's the funniest thing you've said all morning, Joe. Well, <laughs> welcome you. to the real Hurt Locker, kids. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. OG, talk us through that. Talk us through how parents can structure that so that their kids have a roof over their heads, but they're still forced to, to be responsible adults and provide for themselves. Yeah, you can do all of those things. Anything that you're thinking about, you can put down on paper, you know, I mean, that's the difference about thinking about this stuff in advance, no different than you plan out your retirement or you plan out your next vacation or something like that. You got to sit down and kind of think through some contingencies and a really uh, strong estate planning attorney will prompt some of those questions. Like, what do you want to do if da, 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 or here's what we see successful people do in this case, you know, that sort of thing. If your uh, retirement plan account or your brokerage account says beneficiary, my kids, you know, you're just leave, you're just going to give them a, a big chunk of money and with no, with no guardrails whatsoever. But specifically, OG, though, you can set it up where it's in five-year increments or 10-year increments of your, or whatever, you know, a hundred different, I wouldn't do that, but you can set it up where they get some you money whatever at you 25, want. some money at 30, some money at 35. Yeah. Or you can say, you know, this person's in charge of the money because they're really this team of people is in charge of the money is kind of this family team that's in charge of it. And everybody gets, you know, enough to pay for their housing expenses, but not much more. You know, there's, I mean, there's so many different things that you can do, but you have to think through it. And so the headline of, I'm just going to cut my kids out could be warranted. I suppose, you know, I mean, if they're totally, like you said, Joe, if they're totally jerk faces, you know, whatever, but I, I just, I don't understand why somebody would take their entire life to build up a, a nest egg, a fortune in this case, probably, and then go, my goal is to burn it all to the ground. <laughs> I'm going to go bury all the gold so nobody knows where it is. It's like, well, surely there's something better you can do with that than just say, screw everybody. There is a, uh, another piece I found on the idea of not thinking through this. I think when people don't think through it, they make a bunch of mistakes. And this is from Kiplinger, a piece written by T. Eric Reach. The title of this piece is 10 Surprisingly Common Estate Planning Mistakes. I thought, oh, gee, we walked through a few of these. Number one on Eric's list is beneficiary blunders, not naming a contingent beneficiary on retirement accounts and insurance policies 
or failing to review beneficiaries often enough is, he says, my client's number one mistake. Agreed? Yeah, 100%. People think they did it. I, I already did that. Stuff gets lost in the mail. Stuff gets deleted from records. You know, just not, but three weeks ago, the entire airline industry was completely shut down because they found out that a contractor that was working on a database that sends out notices to airports about different things and pilots about different things, they figured out that they deleted not only the original copy, but also the backup copy when they were trying to fix it. So they went, oh, my bad. bad. My bad. (laughs) My bad. You know, shut down the U.S. air, air travel for four hours. That can happen at any other company. It can happen at your 401k provider, bank, you know, it happens. Yeah, check all, recheck all your beneficiaries. Check it. Number two, selling, oh, oh, I've seen this one too often by people that don't understand how this works. Selling, quote, selling property for a dollar. Big estate mistake, he writes. Yeah, I think this one's really huge because again, you just don't think about the dominoes. It's like, well, I bought mom's house for a dollar. Ha 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 ha. You're like, <laughs> and when you go to sell it and they ask you, what'd you pay for it? What do you write down? One dollar. And you sold it for 380000 Guess who's really happy with that transaction? That is the U.S. Treasury Department. And they go, sweet. Thanks for the capital gains on all of the money. Because you've got a document right here that says you bought it for a dollar, you know? So don't do that either. Ugh. Number three, naming specific investments in your will. Obviously, investments are going to change. We don't want to do that. Yep. Number four, not thinking through a well-intended gift. He writes, a client had three daughters and wanted to make sure after she passed away that they always had a home to go to in the town where she lived. Her will stated her children couldn't sell her house unless everyone had a house in that particular shore town. Oh, my goodness. Two of the three children did, in fact, live in the same town. The third... However, several years before mother's death, moved to San Diego, 2,500 miles away, and didn't want to own a house in that town. But because the way the will was written, the heirs had to go through a lengthy process with the courts to finally get permission to sell their mom's home. Yeah. And guess who benefits out of that? A lot of attorneys. (laughs) The attorneys. That's right. Uh, Leaving assets directly to a minorship without dealing with guardianship issues. Not planning for the death of a beneficiary. I know, oh, gee, this is a big one a lot. A lot of people, when they're young... They just get out of college. They get their first job. What did they do? The Fintern puts dad, puts neighbor Doug on his estate planning documents. I'm about yeah. to give it to you. I'll just put my parent on there. Yes. And then 15 years later, I've never changed it. Dad's long gone. And it all goes to wife number three that the Fintern never got along with. I've got two more wives I don't know about. In the future. Fantastic. Wait. You're welcome, dude. Oh, not at the same time. (laughs) Yes. And a quarter of your stuff. And you're you're down to a quarter of your stuff. Uh, I'll link to this, uh, the rest of these, in our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. But you know, guys, one more thing we truly need to think about is when we pass away, the funeral, right? What's the funeral or the memorial service going to be like? This may be the best commercial- yeah, well, this may be the best commercial I've ever heard on that topic. Let's listen. Are you dead? Not yet. Well, you're gonna be. We all are. So why not do your loved ones a solid and plan your funeral today? Hi, we're the Russo Brothers from Russo and Brothers Funeral Home. 
and we specialize in turning the saddest day of your life into the funnest day in everyone else's. Our one-of-a-kind funeral parties are themed after your likes and your interests so that your friends and family can celebrate your life without you. Did you love the beach? We got sand. How about sports? We got balls. Did you love going to the movies? Who doesn't? We'll turn your funeral into a red carpet event. Step aside, Liz Taylor. You'll die when you see our affordable prices. Open casket? Close casket. Kiss casket? No casket. That's right. Your remains don't even have to be there if you don't want them to. You're dead now. Stop ruining the fun for the rest of us. Like our dad used to say, nothing ruins a party worse than a dead body. And don't even worry about the kids. They're gonna have fun too in one of our affordable bounce house rentals. Or a life-size pinata made in your likeness, full of yummy treats. Look, none of us knows how much time we got left. So stop wasting yours and call us today. Russo and Brothers Funeral Home, where we put the fun in funeral. Sold. That's the best thing I will hear all year. Sold. You're dead now. Man, I don't care. I don't care where I'm dying. They're the party planning committee. One hundred percent. Nothing ruins a party more than a dead body. Yes. God. Don't worry about the kids. They'll have fun too. Come in. Right. Life size pinata made in your likeness, full of sweet treats. I like the kiss casket. That's my favorite with the kiss logo down the side. That'd be awesome. You are absolutely putting that link in the show notes and in our newsletter, right? It yes, has sir. To happen. Absolutely. Oh and send it to me right now because <laughs> I'm sending that to everybody I know. Dr. Daniel Willingham is a professor at the University of Virginia. And one thing he has studied his entire life is what makes us go. And often we're fighting our own brain. Our brain is phenomenal, but it often chooses the path of least resistance over the short term. We'll walk through exactly what your brain's after and how to trick your brain into getting more out of your life so we can all stack more Benjamins. He's coming up next, but as a way to get there, Doug, I think first you got some trivia for us, man. Yeah, I'm still looking up Rusan Brothers Funeral Home. I got to find <laughs> these guys. You're going to have to give me a minute. It's so good. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Gather around, kids, while old Uncle Doug tells you the story of a Chinese New Year tradition. According to ChinaHighlights.com, which is unfortunately not where you go to find someone who can lift your hair color while you're dining on sweet and sour pork, the name for the Chinese New Year is written with the character for new, plus another that could mean year or the monster named Niem. Some years are monsters. I mean, just ask 2020. Seriously, evil. Okay, let's get into this. In addition to Nian, there was a monster named Sui that scared children in their sleep even more than the thought of OG before his first cup of coffee. So one year, on New Year's Eve, parents gave their children eight coins wrapped in paper, the color of which is still used today. So my question is, what color was that paper? I'll be right back after I have Joe's mom check under my bed. Well, the holidays took a bite out of your financial picture and you're in 2023 now trying to set some new goals. A great one is to begin working back on your debt. And if you partner up with Navy Federal Credit Union, 
pay down your credit card debt. You could get a low intro APR on balance transfers with their platinum credit card. It's their lowest rate card and a great tool to pay less interest while you're paying down debt. Navy Federal can also help you get started with your next home improvement project if that's in your 2023 plan. They offer a home equity line of credit with convenient access to funds when you need them at a variable rate. Or you could get a fixed rate equity loan that has set monthly payments for large purchases. Consolidating debt with a home equity loan could also streamline and lower your monthly payments as part of your bigger debt payoff strategy. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. Our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA, equal housing lending, membership required, loan subject to approval. Call 1-888-842-6328 for details about credit cost and terms. HELOC APR is low as 6.5% as of November 23rd, 2022. Dell Tech Fest starts now. To thank you for 40 unforgettable years, Dell Technologies is celebrating with anniversary savings on their most popular tech. For a limited time only, save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13 Plus, where you can make the everyday easier with Windows 11. Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com slash deals, You'll have access to leading-edge technology and free shipping on everything. Again, that's dell.com slash deals. Hey there, stackers. I'm Boogeyman Big Boy and all-holiday celebrator, you know, as long as there's food, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. In the lore of Chinese New Year, parents placed a packet with eight coins under a child's pillow, which scared the demon Sui away. Then the coins inside turned into eight fairies. All right, what the hell was in the green tea that night? Since then, it's been a tradition to give envelopes of cash, which I'm sure the children invested in some good low-cost mutual funds, right? You know, to keep them safe and give them good luck. So, what color are the envelopes? Red. And now, let's turn it over to Dr. Daniel Willingham. And I'm super happy he's here with us. Uh, Dr. Dan Willingham is here. How are you? I'm well, thanks. So happy to be here. I'm so happy to talk to you. And I'm always curious about how people create every project that they do. In the preface to your book, Dan, that um, this whole thing started when really a long time ago when you decided that you wanted to become a professor because professors don't have jobs. Is that yeah, no. <laughs> or, or excuse me, don't, don't have bosses, I mean. Don't have bosses. Yeah, right. And not having a boss is close to the same conclusion as that we don't really have jobs either. Right. Uh, <laughs> both, both are a little bit true. No, but that's that's absolutely right. I was working, interestingly enough, I was working for a member of Congress. I was working on Capitol Hill. I had a job that like so many of the people I went to school with would have killed for, but really wasn't right for me. And I actually really respected my boss a lot. But yeah, I didn't I didn't love having a boss. And so I yeah, I went to graduate school thinking I would uh, become a professor so that I wouldn't have a boss. But then you found yourself fascinated with the human brain. I did and and continue to be. So I I really got lucky. This is not the career path I recommend for anyone. Like just yeah, just go to graduate school, try it, see what happens. You know, that's really it's not a smart way to go, but it it worked out for me because I did get lucky. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. I think this idea of following what you love, assuming that you understand that it does pay and that there's an economic sense to it, 
is a great way to make a living if you show up every day at that job. There's a comedian out there that you may have heard of before named Emo Phillips, who talks about how he's walking down the street one day and he said, you know, my brain is the smartest part of my body. And then he said, well, look at who's telling me that. <laughs> of, course, <laughs> of course, it's my brain. So my question is, if our brain is the smartest part, why do we need to outsmart our brain in the first place? Yeah, so it's really interesting. And it's one of the insights I had as a psychologist that prompted me to want to write this book is this consistent pattern I saw. Frequently, when you're engaged in intellectual tasks, your brain will guide you towards doing something. When you think about it, it actually sounds perfectly logical. Your brain will encourage you to engage in the process in a way that feels effective, but also doesn't feel very difficult. But your brain is really able to perceive that in the short term. Your brain knows, you know, sort of has a sense of like, how's this going in the immediate present, but it doesn't have the long picture in mind. And so that's where you need to outsmart it. Your brain will frequently lead you when you're, for example, trying to remember something, or if you're trying to decide whether or not you've uh, really learned something, whether you've mastered it, your brain will lead you astray in those moments because it's making those evaluations in the short term. As you're speaking, it reminds me of a popular basketball coach who once said, that um, he works out first thing in the morning, Dan, before his brain knows what the hell he's doing. Like that's uh, <laughs> the only way yeah. it's going to, but that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Path of a little more resistance. You just got to think a little bit more long-term. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the example I give in the introduction of the book is, you know, suppose you've got a friend who's trying to like become a, a really good at doing lots of push-ups. Uh, and so you go and watch him practicing push-ups one day and you find he's doing push-ups on his knees and you say, well, you know, this seems like a terrible idea. You, you know, if you want to be able to do a lot of push-ups, you should be practicing regular push -ups. In fact, you should be practicing the really hard ones, like the ones where you launch yourself off the floor and clap. And your friend says, yeah, a couple of people told me that. And you know what? I tried it. But like I could barely do any of those push-ups. Uh, and that so it seems stupid. Like the whole point is I want to be able to do a lot, right? But when I do them on my knees, then I can do lots of push-ups really, really fast. When we're talking about mental work, the same thing applies. Your brain sort of encourages you to do the mental equivalent of push-ups on your knees. Things that it feels like in the moment, it feels like things are going great. And it's not that you're not getting any value out of it, but there are other things you could do that would, uh, that would feel more effortful, but would provide a bigger payoff in the long run. I love that analogy. I want to ask you, you talk in this project about all different ways that we need to trick our brain, all different facets of our life. I want to just focus on just a couple. The first one is you talk about the idea of focus. It is so hard. We have so many distractions, Dan, as you know, my phone rings. I've got, I've, I've, I look at the room around me. I have an Xbox right down there that could be a potential yeah. distraction. I have books like yours that I can read. I have podcasts. I have all these distractions. What is the first thing we need to do to get our brains more focused to really go after the big stuff? Yeah, not choosing distraction is a big one. And so there are a couple of ways to think about this. One is, as you note, very common advice. We've all heard this since we were students. When you've got serious work to do, pick a quiet place to do it. And that is a great insight. Any, it's a, it's a very general truism in psychology. 
Anytime you are relying on willpower, you are setting yourself up for failure because willpower means making the right decision over and over and over again. And what you'd much rather do is put yourself in an environment that is supportive of what you want to do. So picking a quiet place to work is an example of that. If that's not possible, and it's not always possible for all of us, you know, some of us, you work in a cubicle and like there are people walking by and it's noisy or whatever. The next best thing is to try as best you can to adjust your space. If you can't pick a better space, see if you can make some changes to the space that you've got. So, for example, in your workplace, is it okay to wear earplugs sometimes if you really need to focus on something or, you know, noise-canceling headphones? Can you adjust your chair so that you both can't see people walking by your cubicle and also, like, you're a little bit less inviting of a target for people to talk to you or on your way? So think about those small tweaks that you can make to your environment so that you will have fewer distractions. And then the final thing to think about uh, in don't choose distraction as a principle is social media, your phone. I can't tell you how many people feel like, well, that doesn't really count, or I kind of know it counts, but you know what? I, I think it doesn't really interfere with my work that much. Lots and lots of laboratory studies on this in the last 10 years, all of which show anything you're Anytime you're multitasking, there absolutely is a cost. There's a slight caveat on that when it comes to what we call media multitasking. So when you've got video going or you've got music going, because very often people say like, no, no, I get that. Like, obviously, if I'm looking at Instagram, I can't really be working. But like, I just have CNN on one corner of my screen. I'm, it's background noise. I'm like not even paying attention to it. When it's video content, there's always a cost, mm. always, to whatever the primary work you're doing is. Uh, when it's music content, that's where things get a little complicated. It actually took researchers a really long time to work this out because studies would show sometimes there was no cost, sometimes there was, sometimes there was even a benefit in some studies. So it turns out they did work this out. There are two opposing effects when you've got music on in the background. First, there is a distraction effect. So just like with video content, but then there's also an arousal effect. Autonomic nervous system gets a little boost. And this, of course, is why people like to listen to music when they're working out. If you're feeling kind of, you know, low or draggy, some uplifting music can get your heart rate going and so on. So whether having music on in the background helps or hurts with performance is going to depend on a bunch of factors, including like your motivation to do the work, how difficult the work is, how tired you were when you first started. And that's why it's a real mixed bag. Man, I want to shine a, a spotlight on a couple of the things that you said there, Dan. The first one applies also to money management. Cause we say this with money management, when you rely on willpower to do the right thing with your money, you're yeah. going to make the wrong decision. I'm headed to Dairy Queen with the five bucks in my pocket. I will, cause I have no willpower, but if I set up automatic <laughs> deductions out of my paycheck and it goes in the right place, then that's great. So it, it applies in so many ways that leads me to, you know, with the pandemic, we saw more people working at home you talk about in your book that the kitchen for you seems like a great place. It's quiet. It's nice. But for you, there's too many distractions in the kitchen. So kind of, the, I feel like there's a little bit of knowing yourself here as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Just observing yourself and noting where am I really effective? Where am I really productive? And then being honest with yourself. Yeah. I mean, something like 
you know, me getting up and staring at the refrigerator, but usually when I'm stuck on a problem and then I'm like, this is a really good time for, you know, I might be hungry. I might not. I'm going to go look at the lettuce. I mean, this, you know, like you have to be honest with yourself, you're, you're, you know, because you, you want to deny it. You want to say like, no, that's not me. But you need to face up to it and really be honest with yourself and evaluating when you're productive and when you get distracted. Well, and I like another tip that you give during this portion of the book, which is that sometimes for some of us, and this works for me, being in an environment where other people are working around me, I see other people doing a task and I'm doing a task. If I have this hum, in fact, for, for me, Dan, and I don't know what this is, and maybe it's the audio thing you're talking about. There's an app on my computer called Cafidity, which gives me the background noise in my headphones of just a Starbucks, but I'm not at Starbucks. No kidding. I just hear this little hum of other people working. And I find that when I've monitored myself by tracking my time, I actually work longer periods of time, longer stretches without distraction when I have this just hum of other people working around me. That's so interesting. And that is a personal thing. So first I'll say that, yeah, there are definitely lots of people like you. And I was the same way. I really liked going to the big study hall at my university. And there was something inspiring for me. Today, there are YouTube channels where people just sit and work. And you can watch someone live streaming themselves doing chemistry or something. Yeah, it, it seems kind of weird, but it's it's the same thing, right? It's sort of, and there's one, that one of the biggest ones is, it's in South Korea, I think, and it's just called Study With Me. And you watch this person there working. Uh, but yeah, people feel like I have some company, but I've got company that's not distracting me and so on. At the same time, there are other people for whom, you know, that just totally backfires. It makes them anxious. Sure. Right. They see everybody else working so hard and so forth. So again, you have to know what works for you and experiment a little bit. You have a header that says chew gum. Yeah. It's true. And so the, there are a few studies. And, and in my description of these studies, I'm very careful to say, like, again, this is another one where it's sort of like, try it. And the reason I say that in this case is not because it works for some people and it doesn't for others. It's because the the experimental evidence on this is really squishy. But there is some evidence that chewing gum gives you sort of a 20-minute little burst of concentration ability, A more reliable thing that is sort of similar in spirit gives you probably about the same duration is taking a break. And this is something that, of course, is intuitive. Like when you come back from a break, uh, you feel rested, you feel better able to concentrate. So breaks are really important. One thing I can tell your audience is there's been lots and lots of studies in the last 10 or 15 years on what exactly the timing should be. So if uh, some of you may have heard about the Pomodoro technique, which is a particular, yeah, so that's a particular configuration of timing of like how long you should work and then how long the break should be and how you sequence them. There's no experimental evidence that that particular configuration or any particular configuration is sort of the best one for the human brain or something like that. So you definitely want to experiment and see what what works for you. The one thing I would advise is I think it's really useful to use a timer as the Pomodoro technique recommends. And so in contrast to I'll work till I feel sick of it and then I'll then I'll take a break. The advantage of the timer is people very, very often report, yeah, I was I was feeling kind of exhausted. And then I saw on my timer I just had three minutes left. And I thought, well I can hang in there for another three minutes. So that's why I think the timer is really useful. What's pervasive throughout your work, Dan, here is this idea of a growth mindset and really you know the thinking of yourself a little bit as a guinea pig. 
and taking these tips that you have and seeing, okay, does this really work for me? Is this, is this it? Like take the study and then filter it down and go, okay, these tips purely work for me. These ones kind of work for me. It's absolutely fantastic that way. You had, you had one other thing here that I wanted to shine a light on and, and you briefly mentioned it, but I really want to go hard here because so many of us are on social media. We're addicted to social media. I woke up this morning and I have this uh, current addiction to TikTok, which I hate. And so I'm watching, you know, <laughs> scrolling videos, but you parse these two things. You say we want social media or do we love it? And I've never heard anybody phrase it that way before. It, it sounds like what you're saying based on your study of the human brain that our brain wants it, but that doesn't necessarily mean we actually like it. Yes. And this is something I've talked about with my students and it's, it's not universal at all, but for some of them, it's like, yes, that totally makes sense. So as you say, the distinction is between feeling like you want something versus actually enjoying it. So dopamine comes up a lot in the context of social media, and people think that dopamine is the feels-good neurochemical. It's really more the do-that-again neurochemical. So you can see how, like, in an experiment, a researcher might confuse those two, right? Like yeah, the rat yeah. gets something really, you know, gets the cheese, and so there's lots of dopamine, right? And so the premise here is that those two things are separable. You can have one neural signal that's telling you this was a good thing. You should keep doing this. And then a different neural signal that is actually the pleasure part of it. And I think this really matches the experience that some people have with social media. The urge to keep doing it outlives the pleasure so when I talk with my students, you know, like I'll, I'll talk with the students. She's like, oh, my God, I have to, like, respond to all my snaps. And I'm like, do you know, do you do you? She's like, no, I hate it. I, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, you're so pretty. Like, you know, over and over again, saying the same thing to all these people. And it just seems like a big old waste of my time. And yet I do feel this urge to continue with it. And not just because of the social penalty. I'm kind of anticipating it's going to be fun. And then when I'm actually doing it, I, I realize I'm really not having that much fun. So again, to, to your point, this is another time to sort of treat yourself like a guinea pig and see, you know, just, just monitor yourself. I, I know I feel that urge. When I give in to that urge and I'm on social media, how much fun am I actually having? And the goal here is that later when you feel that urge, you may say, you know what? Like this is easier to resist than I thought because I know once I do it, it really isn't that great. I'm laughing. People not watching us on video don't know that I'm, I'm smiling and laughing as you're talking because – I'd read this chapter just last night preparing for this. And this morning I'm flipping through TikTok and it was literally your voice in my head that made me go, what the hell am I doing? I don't, <laughs> I, I don't even like this. What am I doing? Like I'm thinking about your words and actually thinking about it, which is, by the way, is time well spent. You know, so much time well spent thinking, do I really actually like this? In 2023, like any other year, we're going to have big meetings. We're going to have times when we need to be present. We're in a lecture type situation. Maybe it's a big sale. Maybe our boss is giving a big presentation. You open your work talking about the lecture and making the most out of a lecture. How yeah. is attending a lecture or a big sales meeting or a, a big conference presentation different than just you and me talking here on the podcast? That's a great question. Um, I love the way you put that because that exactly gets back at this business about outsmarting your brain. What is your brain going to do that actually is not optimal? Your brain is very used to comprehending spoken language. 
And so it's natural to sit down at a big sales presentation and sort of treat that like any other type of listening task you do. In fact, with a sales presentation, the situation is even worse because you might be in an auditorium with a few hundred people and the person's up there on the stage. And so it feels very much like this is kind of entertainment. Like this person's going to come to me and is, is going to, you know, make this easy for me to understand. And we've all been to presentations at conferences that are like that. Uh, and those are just sort of entertainment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> right. Like sugar. Like yeah, you show up, it's a lot of fun. And then you're like, what the hell did I learn? Exactly. Yeah, you're like, that was really fun. What was it about? I don't know. <laughs> you know, but like I laughed, I cried, whatever. Right. We're talking, I think you're talking now about something that's much more serious that's yeah. actually meant to prepare you, you know, teach you something, prepare you for some serious work. Okay, so the difference in that type of presentation is it's not going to be organized as a story or as a narrative. It's not going to come to you. You are going to have to put in some work to understand this. So when someone prepares a serious presentation, it's usually organized hierarchically. There's one main point that they're trying to get across. And then there's usually, in a, say, 45-minute presentation, there's between three and seven subpoints. For each of those subpoints, there's going to be some elaboration. There's a conclusion like focus is really difficult. I might you know, give uh, start with an example, and then I talk about an experiment, and then I give an example from popular media, and then I talk about another experiment. That part of the presentation might span 15, 20 minutes. So the difficulty here is that I, as the speaker, am asking you to connect three or four things within that subpoint. I'm suggesting that they're related, but they are going to be separated in time as you experience them. That's a huge challenge for you because if I've organized this hierarchically, picture a tree diagram in your mind, right? There's sort of uh, circles and then links forming a tree diagram. The links are very important to me as the speaker because those carry information. The link, the reason this little node is under this other one is because it's an example of this main point. The reason I'm talking about this experiment is it, it supports this point and so on. So those links are vital, but I can't communicate those directly and they're separated in time. So what this means is that understanding a lecture that is really meant to convey information is much more challenging than sitting and listening to a conversation or listening to a story. So you point out then the first thing we need to do is realize that the speaker has a hierarchy. And you also point out good speakers will kind of let you know that they do a great job of telling you about the hierarchy. But there's you and I have been in all these meetings where we've had just horrible speakers and there are some keywords, some key messages. Do you mind going through those so we can kind of begin to parse out what the hierarchy might be so we can understand where they're going Sure. And as you say, a good speaker will make this plain. They will start the. And if you're giving a presentation, you don't do this. Consider starting to do this. You start off with the presentation. Say, okay, today, here's what the conclusion is that I'm hoping that you're going to draw. There are four main points that I want to make here. And then you keep, you, that's about it for what people can hold in memory at the beginning of a presentation is those top two levels. What's the main conclusion? What are the sub points? And that, that's going to look to them very much like an outline. And it is. And 
And then critically, you keep returning to that same slide. And that helps me and the audience see, okay, now he's here. He told me he was going to tell me four reasons that's true. Now he's done with reason two, and now he's moving on to reason three. And you can support that, and you should support that verbally and sort of say exactly what I just said. Okay, now we're transitioning to this next part and so on, so that it helps people keep the organization clear. If you find yourself in a talk where people, the the speaker isn't doing that, and frequently people with subject matter expertise who are trying to teach you something, they don't have a lot of expertise in giving a talk. They may have given a lot of them, but they may not be great at that. So we all encounter a number of people who've got subject matter expertise, but it's kind of up to you to extract the meaning from their talk. You can listen for verbal cues. Again, the speaker has this hierarchy in mind. So even if they're not expressly trying to communicate it to you, unconsciously, they're kind of moving through the hierarchy and they know when they're moving on to another point. So they'll do things like uh, give you verbal cues, like just like saying, okay, Right. When I say something like, okay, that's sort of a close to one section and it's, it's showing you that mentally I'm moving on to something else. Or if I say, and another reason, right, that, that's another cue to you. All right. So he's done with that bit and moving on. So listen to the, for those little breaks. You can see nonverbal ones also. For example, someone, uh, takes a pause. That probably means. Yeah. They've, they've, like, they're mentally closing one chapter and they're moving on in memory to the next. They go back to the podium to look for, look at their notes. That's another cue they're moving on. So look for those little break points and that'll help you figure out what the organization is. That's what I was thinking too, as you're talking, like that idea of physically moving when they just physically move during that break. Okay. Maybe this is a, and you make it very clear that we need to come to this with an active listening, active participation. I get in an auditorium and to your point to some of these fun things. I've been to, I'm pretty passive. I'm like, okay, dance for me a little yeah. bit. You've given a ton of lectures. You talk about how when you, when, when you give lectures, you can see it in some of your students' eyes. You see them kind of start to glaze and not because they're bored, but because totally. they're, they're in the wrong spot. Absolutely. And I mean, the same thing, you know, this doesn't change like once you graduate from college. <laughs> So, you know, I've also given plenty of talks to adults in in lots of different situations. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, part of it, too, is like, you know, if I'm doing a big conference or something, it's like a lot of the folks are like, you know what? I'm in Vegas. Like I was out last night drinking. And, you know, (laughs) here I am with like 600 of my closest friends. And like I just finished the breakfast buffet and like the bacon was pretty good. I hope this dude's all right. (laughs) Yeah. And they're like that. That's pretty much we're not coming in thinking like, oh, Dan, Dan Williams here. I'm so excited to be mentally challenged, right? They're they're much more kind of in vacation mode. And I, of course, I get that. And I've been in that situation myself. But, you know, be realistic about what you're likely to get out of a talk like that if you're sort of coming in thinking that way. Two quick notes here. Number one, sit near the front. That reduces distractions. We talked a lot about distractions yeah. with focus in here as close to the front as you can. This one is hard for our introverts listening, Dan. Get over your reluctance to ask questions. I have such a reluctance to ask questions. You talk about one type of question is super important here, clarifying questions especially. Let me start by pointing out why I think people are reluctant to ask questions and why I think that reluctance, there are different reasons people are reluctant and none of them are great reasons to be reluctant. So let, let me start that way. One is clarifying questions are 
the questions that you're most likely to ask, and they are the least likely to be the kind of question that will kind of irritate other people. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons people say, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to slow things down. I don't want to bug anybody. I'd just rather sit here quietly. Uh, so the question that you're most likely to ask never bothers anyone because, first of all, if you're not clear on it, probably the speaker wasn't that clear. And there are lots of other people who are actually grateful to you who are saying like, oh, thank goodness, because, yeah, I didn't really get that either. So I wouldn't worry about that. The other thing is when you talk about questions that are annoying, if you know what types of questions are legitimately annoying, you'll be less likely to ask them. I hate it when speakers say, there are no stupid questions. There are no annoying questions. Of course there are stupid <laughs> questions. Of course there are annoying questions, right? And I think the better thing to do is just say like, yeah, of course that happens. But you know what? We all do it. It's like saying, oh, no one ever like, you know, trips a little bit on the sidewalk. We all do that, right? So just like, don't, don't worry about that. But the type of question that's annoying are show-off questions. So if I I'm giving a talk, you know, about focus and attention and you stand up and start showing off because you took a neuroanatomy course and you start asking me about the amygdala and I haven't been talking about the brain at all. And your question is really, you know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds of you talking about the amygdala. Now you're irritating everybody because you've grabbed the platform. They didn't come here to listen to you talk about the amygdala. So just don't ask a question like that and you won't be annoying. And then probably the most important point I can make on this is a lot of times people will say, you know what, like this is just my personality, like I'm just shy and I, it's really hard for me. And what I would say is I get that and asking questions may never be easy for you, but you can improve on this. This is you should think of this like a skill, like any other skill. And just as like, you, you know, numbers may not come easily to you, but obviously you can learn some math and, and, and improve, even if you're never going to be totally a math person. Learning how to ask questions in public, stand up, admit ignorance, ask for clarification. This is a skill that's important in any context, any job you have, you're going to need to be able to do that. So you should work at it. I always get worried about asking a question that I think everybody's going to think is stupid or that a question that might make me look stupid to your point. I've always regretted not asking questions, but I can't think of a time when I actually asked a question that I regretted it later because usually it was a clarifying question, but I do regret it. You know, the times when I get done with the lecture, I'm like, I should have asked them about that thing, you know, and then I got to send them an email or whatever it might be, or, or I just don't know. It's so, so tough. I want to ask you just a couple of questions about taking notes during that lecture. You have a lot on taking notes and we're definitely not going to get to all of it. Listening versus taking notes. Yeah, there is a trade-off. And I mean, every, everybody knows this. And again, getting to the outsmart your brain part, what everybody knows is you are in mental overload when you are at a presentation and you're trying to take notes. Because you are, I mean, think of what your brain is trying to do all simultaneously. You're listening to content that's unfamiliar. It's got new, complicated ideas in it. You're trying to decide what's important enough to write down. You're figuring out how to phrase that. You're actually doing the writing or typing to do it. You're having to shift attention between your notes and the speaker and maybe visual aids. And all of this, you don't get to set the pace. It's the speaker who is setting the pace of how quickly all of this has to happen. So almost universally, people are just completely overwhelmed. 
so what your brain is likely to do is try to keep up. And the thing that tends to happen is you tend to listen less and less. So in favor of devoting more of your attention to writing. And a lot of times people slip into the habit of basically taking dictation and they kind of recognize, I'm not sure I'm really understanding all of this, but I'm able to write more if I don't really think about what it means. Now, in a calm moment, you can recognize, is that really a very good strategy? But that's the kind of thing you you slip into. So what I tell my students is, uh, and and to be fair, I mean, there, there's some types of talks where you do need to really get a lot of details and you need to write down a lot of stuff. And then there are others where understanding is much more important. So the first thing is it helps a lot to know what is it, what's my goal here? What am I trying to do? If someone is giving you instructions on what you're going to be doing the next half hour and you, you jolly well better get all of those instructions really clear, this is not the time to not take any notes and just think about what it all means, man. Like you need to write down what this person is telling you. In contrast, if you are you know, in a class, for example, and it's a philosophy class and you are thinking big ideas, then it's time, you know, fewer notes and more thinking about what it means. But what I tell my students is don't fall into dictation mode. Generally speaking, in most note-taking situations you're in, write down what you're thinking, not what the, don't write down what the speaker is saying. Oh, like interpret it in your notes. Yeah. And that's going to really help ensure that you're actually thinking about this, you're actually processing it. Wow. And you're even probably processing it to the next level. You know, you're talking about what does this mean to me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and what does this mean in the context of other things that I've learned earlier in this presentation, for example, right? Yeah. yeah trying, or other things going on with together. my organization or with whatever the, yeah, the topic might be. One thing that surprised me, you even draw the difference between taking notes I feel bad telling you this, admitting this, but but I often take notes on my iPad and you write, probably not a great idea. It might be better to do that longhand. It might be. It's true. And don't feel bad. You're still a nice person. But the, (laughs) but the, um, yeah. So the thing, the thing about taking notes and, and iPad, uh, you know, if you're using an Apple pen and you're writing longhand, that's pretty much as good as writing with pencil and paper, right? It's keyboarding that, that can be the concern. And the concern there, there again, there have been lots of studies on this. And I think the, data are still a little bit squishy about exactly how it turns out. We have not totally figured this out. But the concern is that it's because most people can type much faster than they can write, that it it seems more possible to just sort of go into, to to write, to record everything the person is saying. And therefore you're, yeah, you're more likely to slip into dictation. Is the, the thing is, the, worry, is the longhand, I'm sorry, but is the longhand then the, the hand and the mind kind of meeting up? That does it? No, no, I don't think so. I don't. I don't think it's the physical process of writing. I think it's the fact that you know you're slower, and so you're more selective about what you're going to write, uh, and you make every word count more rather than uh, you know yeah. trying to just sort of get everything down as you would with keyboarding. But the one other thing I wanted to add to this, Joe, is that the I think a bigger danger, like a bigger issue than the typing versus writing longhand, is that if you are on a device, 
that has an internet connection, it's very tempting to multitask. And so, you know, like I've had students who say, you know, and they're not like uh, shy about it at all. They're like, oh yeah, when you get boring, I just go and like, you know, <laughs> shop or do something else. Great. And and so, you know, when the student said this to me, I just like kept a totally straight <laughs> face. And I said, well, how do you know when I'm not boring anymore? And they're like, oh, I don't know. You know, I, I can just tell. I mean, yeah, magic. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So does it bother you when a student comes up to you, Dan, and says, I bought a lot today? I bought a ton. <laughs> I busted <laughs> my budget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They present me with a bill, right? If you hadn't been so damn boring, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have all these shoes, right? Yeah. What's I'm trying to stack Benjamin to not get yeah, rid of Benjamin. Exactly. Exactly. We have covered and not even in detail, you go so much deeper in the book, two of tons of ways to outsmart your brain in these very important parts of your life. The book is called Outsmart Your Brain, Why Learning is Hard and how you can make it easy. Dr. Dan Willingham, man, thanks for helping us get a little smarter and trick our brain. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was fun. I'm Andy Dwyer. And when I'm not pulling suckers off my tomato plants in my garden, I'm stacking Benjamins. Big thanks to Dr. Dan for stopping by. Oh, gee, that's totally why I work out first thing in the morning. I got to trick my brain. I got to be out there in the middle of the workout before my brain goes, dude, what are we doing? Like, what, what, the, what the hell? That question happens to me the minute I open my eyes. I'm still on the pillow when my brain says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Go back to sleep. Stop. Go back. The other thing I like is the number of things that he said, which is you listen to him talk seem obvious. But then you think about what you actually have done in meetings where you'll sit in the back of the room where there's more likely to be people in front of you that have distractions. I do that almost every meeting. I go sit in the back. I don't want to sit in the front. I want to sit in the back. But if I sit in the front, I'm going to be focused. If I sit in the back, I'm not going to be. Like we sabotage ourselves with a lot of the stuff he said. And it reminds me of when I was a financial planner, a mentor of mine told me this, OG, when I was like, you know, a lot of people that I work with are making some pretty- Ah, See what I did there? I was sitting in the back of the room with my phone. No. Oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice job. Oh, hey, there it is. A lot of people making some pretty dumb mistakes. And he said the best thing ever, it's not what you know, it's what you do, which is, I think, where I'd challenge people. If you just got done with that interview and you went, I know all that stuff. You really doing that stuff? Do it. Do it. Do you know what we're going to do? It. We're going to throw out the Haven Lifeline. Oh. Tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life, Doug, friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Muted. Okay. Even though I've now had time to think about it, I still can't come up with something I really care about right now. I knew I you were about- throwing it to me, and I'm like, I don't give a crap about anything right now. What if I can't come up with two things, Joe? <laughs> what if my life is down to one thing or what zero do I do things? That announcer boy. Yeah. Hey, Haven Life, I don't have two things. Oh, yes, you do, Doug. It says right here, it's your loved ones and your time. Now, if you don't have any time for your loved ones, then that's your problem. But do a solid and make sure you get your life insurance in order because they're committed to offering a modern way to buying life insurance at Haven Life. Their application, it's simple, it's online. They've gotten rid of all those extra questions they didn't need. You get an instant coverage decision. Price is affordable, of course. All policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, which is more than 160 years old. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to 
a guy named Tom. What's up, Tom? Hey, fellas. How are things down in the basement? This is Tom, and I'm calling in regards to my mother. Uh, so some information about her. She is widowed. She is about five years from RMDs. She has no mortgage. Her pension and Social Security income uh, currently covers all her expenses. She has about 26% of her money in uh, cash or cash equivalents, 35% in 403Bs, and 39% in uh, more aggressive stocks and retirement accounts. And I'm calling in regards to that 403B. Uh, she is uh, in a guaranteed fund at 3.5% that she was grandfathered into, uh, even though in since has been phased out. And I'm wondering if it makes sense with rising interest rates to stay in that 3.5% guaranteed fund or maybe look into some other investment within that 403B uh, that is likely to give a better return. So any advice on that would be appreciated. What a nice son Tom is, huh? Yeah, nice. Calling in on behalf of his mom. Taking care of mom. Gets the, gets the golds. I bet his mom would leave him an inheritance. Sounds like it. She wouldn't Marie Osmond him, would she? I don't think so. I think that's what we're going to say from now on. You got Marie Osmond. But, uh, oh, gee, what do you think? That guaranteed fund, 30, what'd she say? 39%, I think, of the money in a guaranteed account earning three and a half. Three and a half was like a big high five um, at one point. Yeah, my big concern is while pension and Social Security cover all of expenses right now, what does that look like if we forecast that out with inflation for the next 20 odd years? If we're five years from RMDs, that makes mom 67 right now. So there's a pretty good chance she'll she'll live to see 85 or 90 or 95. So if you add inflation into those expenses, you get a little bit of a inflation adjustment with Social Security, but most pensions don't have them. Some do, but most don't. And so you can see a path where, you know, your income is flat and maybe you're covering all of your expenses now with some buffer, but as those expenses continue to rise, there's going to be a crossover point or there's likely to be. And if that happens, now we're going to start drawing from the investment portfolio. So if we start drawing from the investment portfolio, what does that trajectory look like in terms of when is that going to happen or when will it likely happen? And, you know, how will it increase? Because, you know, inflation doesn't end. It just keeps going. And so we'll you know, be withdrawing more and more dollars every year. So uh, my concern would be if we're capping our returns at 3.5%, which you know, sounds really great if you're looking at it as a cash investment, but in reality, from an investment standpoint, if we use a time horizon of 20 years, 3% or 3.5% is a really low return. Add to that cash. So it's like 40% in that. 25% cash, 65% of mom's money is in something that's not going to outpace inflation. She so kind of put those all together and say, we've got an investment portfolio that's not designed to increase with the rising cost of life over the next two decades. Maybe an issue may not be an issue. If it's the side of, I think mom's going to need the money because the costs are going to increase to the point at which we're going to have to withdraw the money eventually, then we need to design an investment portfolio that is going to grow with that. You know, you don't want to run out of money when you're 86 or something. And if you've got it set up in a way, or if mom's set up in a way, I should say that she has so much buffer, you know, she has this huge pension, huge social security, little expenses, 
and there's never a chance that you can foresee where she'll dip into that investment portfolio, then I would go on the other side of it also and say, well, then your time horizon's darn near indefinite. Why would you cap it at 3%? You know, you should, you should be investing for a really long period of time then. So you definitely need to have money set aside that's conservative, that's available for emergencies and opportunities that arise. But by the same token, if you have all of your money doing that, the, the, you run the real risk of kind of losing purchasing power, which is, which is really the biggest issue in, uh, in retirement. I want to highlight for everybody, OG, one specific thing that you talked about, which I think is a great concept, which not just for Tom's mom, but I think for all of our stackers is a way to optimize your portfolio. And the way to do that specifically, OG, with what you said is think about best when you're going to use that dollar. The more you can nail down when you're going to use that dollar, then the investments do a much better job of picking themselves. I mean, right now, Tom, it sounds like you're going three and a half percent. Inflation's rising. We're seeing high yield savings accounts pay more. We're seeing more. So maybe there's other opportunities. We don't think about it that way. We think about when are you going to need that dollar? And then over that time frame, what is the optimal investment for that time frame? And then maybe it is moving it. Maybe it's not moving it. Yeah, you can start eliminating all those choices, you know, 10,000 different mutual funds and 15,000 different ETFs and all the different bank accounts and cash and, you know, all those different choices. Start going, well, this money is needed in five years. Well, that lops off 85% of all investment choices and you're down to these, you know, or I need the money in 15 years. It's like, well, that takes care of all this. I'm only looking at these things. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And it also gets rid of the FOMO factor that we see people have all the time, right? Oh, but there's a great investment. Should I be in that? Well, does it fit the time horizon of this dollar? You know, right. you can eliminate it. You can go, yeah, it's great. It's just not for me, which is awesome as well. Who gets the shirt? Is he going to order it for mom or is he going to oh, keep it, do you think? I've got an idea. No. You know, what's cool is that <laughs> we're going to know. Do we got... We, <laughs> We got a, it's a Doug's idea. We just need a button is what we need. Um, Let's reprogram these boards and get that. The cool thing is, is Tom's just going to get a code OG Ah, and that he will. They can rock, paper, scissors for it. Yeah. Turn into Brad and Tom and his mom decide who gets it. But we'll give you also some sweet stacky Benjamin's Haven life. Greatest money show on earth swag. If you also are brave and call in, have a question, stackofbenjamins.com slash voicemail gets you there. You just press record and you're good to go. Super easy to use and we're happy to answer your question. All right. That's the Haven Lifeline. Man, ready for the big announcement, OG? Oh, forgot all about it. So yeah. What's the big announcement? <laughs> Ouch. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That. That we are today, uh, this week marks the beginning of the Chinese New Year. This is the year of the rabbit, which means that uh, we're multiplying in a way of celebrating. Actually, uh, maybe that's not why we're doing this, but we do find we didn't want to, but we had to. <laughs> we, had, we, we were forced into it. The Chinese New Year said we had to. What were we going to do, people? It's what you do. We had a great opportunity, and we have uh, some people that we've been affiliated with for a while that are just fantastic in one area of investing where there truly is a lot of depth. If you're going to go buy your own this type of investment, you're going to want to do a lot more homework than we're going to do here on the Stacking Benjamin Show. So we decided to spin off a sister show 
which will debut as of right now, March 7th, according to uh, Westwood One, who luckily is going to pick up the show with us. Nice. I'm pleased to announce that Doug will be on the show, but our hosts, our host will be Alan Corey and Crystal Hammond, who you'll get to know. You, you heard Crystal Hammond here a couple weeks ago. You'll hear Alan Corey here on I the see show. see what you did there uh, a couple weeks ago. Kind of. Huh? Kind of. How about that? And remember us talking about stacking tweeds. Stacking Tweeds, the name of the new show, is Stacking Deeds. So much foreshadowing, we didn't even realize. Right there in plain sight. Right in plain sight. The Stacking Deeds. Now we're like a mystery whodunit show? (laughs) I didn't even know that. Are there clues happening right now I'm not aware of for something else? Sergeant Pepper in the library with a hammer. We we used to do on Fridays like a puzzle a long time ago. Remember we do this and I would yeah. announce the beginning of the Friday episode with a puzzle and Dan in Baltimore would always solve them to the point that we had to tell Dan in Baltimore he couldn't he couldn't take part anymore. And Dan, I know you're listening. Even Dan didn't get that one. Even Dan had no idea that that joke was a real thing. But Stacking Deeds, the Stacking Benjamins real estate show made just like Stacking Benjamins. It's for people that aren't sure whether they can do real estate or not. We're going to dive in with uh, Alan and with Crystal, sometimes OG, sometimes me. And uh, Doug also will be on that cast. Doug will be there every show. So super excited about uh, about launching this new project. All right. That's our big announcement. If you're not here, though, for a new podcast, or you're not here for real estate discussions, you're concerned about the market, chatter about recession. OG and his team have put together a free guide that shares eight moves to make in a down market. This guide will help you plan more and panic less no matter what the market does. So head over to stackybenjamins.com slash guide and get this helpful free guide from OG. That's stackybenjamins.com slash guide. All right. We'll have more about stacking deeds in the next couple of weeks for everybody. We'll let you know how to subscribe to that show about how we're going to um, introduce you to that show. But for now, Doug, let's refocus on today. Get our brains refocused, Doug. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take some advice from Dr. Dan Willingham. Often, we're our own worst enemy. Want to excel at that thing you're not great at? Trick your brain by eliminating distractions and thinking through how best you succeed before starting down the path toward any goal. Second, planning your estate. Avoid a few mistakes like not including me as a beneficiary. And you're well on your way to success. But the big lesson? Listen, I told Joe's mom about the red envelope, but she didn't believe me. Coins? Nope. All she gave me was a bill for boogeyman prevention services. Now I'm seeing red. Thanks to Dr. Daniel Willingham for joining us today. You can find out more about their work at danielwillingham.com. Spelled like a pig who's into getting eaten. What? What, what the f*** is that? What the hell is that? I didn't see that. Willingham. Willingham. Oh, my God. That is so good. I'm going to stop talking after that. I can't, I can't be better than that. You got to say that we'll include links in our show notes. Well, at Stacking okay, Benjamins. fine. We got to say it. We'll also include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. <laughs> this show is the property of SP Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2023, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch with help from me, Joe, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. 
You can hire Paulette as your very own writing coach. With her program, Your Personal Editor, you get 10 sessions one-on-one with Paulette to add power to your words. More information at yourpersonaleditor.com. Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at The 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Tina Eichenberg makes the video version of this show. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these nerds, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. You guys know this is my favorite time of the year. I like movies all the time, but I definitely like movies this time of year when we're down to these award nominees because we truly see some really, really good movies, some great ones. And luckily, I transitioned from Avatar, which OG, you and I talked about last time we were together. And this beautiful, Doug, you missed it, beautiful world. If you're going to see it, see it in 3D. Fantastic. Dumbest story ever, ever. Um, just, just so many opportunities to make it a good story and wrecked it with good guy versus bad guy. Dumb. And yet here plot. we are still talking about it more again. <laughs> yeah. I saw two really good ones though. First of all, you remember the guy that played George of the jungle? Well, sure. Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Remember Brendan Fraser? Brendan Fraser is the star of this new movie called, uh, the whale. Let's listen to a little trailer from this one. I know. These rules can feel constraining, but remember, the point of this course is to learn how to write clearly and persuasively. Think about that. Think about the truth of your argument. You're an amazing person, Ellie. I couldn't ask for a more incredible daughter. Are you actually trying to parent me right now? Who would want me to be a part of their life? You don't stay in touch with mom? She really only tells me things about you. Why? Because that's all I want to know about. 
Where'd you get all that weight? Someone close to me passed away, and it had an effect on me. You haven't seen her since she was eight years old, and you're going to reconnect with her? Sorry. I don't like this. This isn't a good idea. I'm sorry. You say you're sorry one more time. I will shove a knife right into you. I swear to God. Go ahead. What's it going to do? My internal organs are two feet in at least. <laughs> Why do you suddenly need to see her so bad? Why now? Yes. So we went and saw this movie. I'd heard a lot about it. I heard people, you know, just he got a standing ovation uh, when this show was up for awards. It was one of the longest standing ovations they've had um, uh, for these particular awards. So we drove down to Shreveport and watched it. And this is a two hour and 20 minute beat down. Uh, if you want to be sad and then you want to be sadder and then you want to be sadder. And then you want to be sadder. This is definitely the the movie for you. Brandon Frazier is a guy that teaches. You heard at the beginning, he's talking to his class about work. He teaches writing online. He refuses to turn his camera on because he's become so obese that he's ashamed of himself. And he's got people that are taking care of him. He's got a daughter, as you heard about, Ellie, who he hasn't connected with in a long time. And he's deciding, because his health is getting really, really bad, that he needs to reconnect with people and he needs to kind of put his affairs in order. And, you know, we talked a lot, OG, today about estate planning and about that. It's a, it, it's a great story about that it's never too late. I think there's some fantastic themes. You just got to be looking for a damn good cry. And I'll say this, you know, there's a bunch of, we talk about violence in movies a lot. We talk about man's inhumanity, people being mean to people. And uh, for little reason, it's what drives me crazy about Marvel, where I'll have a 20 minute action sequence and I don't really care just doesn't matter to me. There is one of the most violent scenes I've ever seen in this movie. And there's only one person involved in this Brandon Frazier, Brandon Frazier. Just, just if I'd watched this at home, I would have had to pause the movie. It was so disturbing what, what he was doing to himself. And I won't go into it too much, but man, there's some of these scenes where they're leading you down a road where, you know, the stakes are so high and you know, that it has to get to this point and, and you get there. You and I, Doug, have talked about uh, uh, what's the Jennifer Lawrence movie um, where the stakes get high and she's got to go out to the swamp to, to get her dad's ring. Uh, Winter's Bone. Winter's Bone. That's right. That is one of the best scenes I've ever seen. I was disturbed as all get out as she's taking a chainsaw out. And she's fishing through the swamp. Yeah. And you know, she has to. She has no other recourse. This is the same thing. And I will remember this scene forever. It's one of the best movie scenes I've ever seen. But I can't, I can't tell you to go see this movie. Because it is just... We got Cheryl and I got done and we're like, I'm exhausted, man. That was work. Do you feel like it was important? Like I felt Schindler's List was an important movie to be made, important for me to see, but I never want to watch it again. Absolutely. Cheryl and I said, this is a phenomenal use of time. It was well done. I could, you know, the English major in me would want to write a, a big old essay about the sub themes and the plots and the stuff going. There's so many layers to this thing. I mean, even the title, The Whale, has like eight different connotations hmm. in this movie. It's so well done, but whoa, yeah, one time. Go watch it one time. Now, I, I won't play the, the trailer. I won't get into it too much. We also saw The Fablemans 
which is semi-autobiographical story of uh, Steven Spielberg's life, exactly the opposite. So many bad things happen in this movie, but still it, it manages to be uplifting. And I think this is why it won the Golden Globe, The Fableman's Over the Whale, what was because the movie's uplifting. It has this positive message. It's so fun to watch Steven Spielberg grow up. By the way, he has a scene in here that, that you it is very dangerous in a movie for the movie to break the fourth wall and talk specifically to the audience. And uh, in one scene, halfway through the movie, he's talking to this bully who's just been beating the crap out of him. And he just made a movie with the bully in it. And the bully's like, how did you do that? Why did you do that? You never should tell anybody that I talked to you about this. Never tell anybody that I did this stuff. And Steven Spielberg, the kid playing Steven Spielberg goes, no, I never will. And he looks right at the camera. He goes, unless I make a movie about it, which of course I'd never do. And the whole audience laughed. It was this real, but, but that's, you could, you could see like from creating shows, I could imagine there was an hour long meeting about whether to include that or not in the movie. I know there had to have been, by the way, Michelle Williams, who plays his mom, she's outstanding in everything she does, but Michelle Williams, uh, my candidate for best actors, super movie, Fableman's thumb up the whale, a very qualified thumb up. So difficult. But go see the Fablemans. Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union can help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe you want to consolidate debt. Well, if you're thinking consolidation, that's part of your plan. You could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed rate home equity loan with zero closing cost or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. What I like, you make your plan first and then you use the appropriate instrument to get you there. And Navy Federal has them. Both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. Equal housing lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loan subject to approval.